It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This Locked On Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less, take out, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box, and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Canucks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Justin Morissette, and this is your Locked On Canucks for Wednesday, January 22nd, coming to you uh, late on Wednesday. Uh, I am uh, working day shifts on 6.50 all week long, so uh, the show will be coming in the uh, mid-afternoon or evening, probably a little earlier than it did uh, today. Uh, And you know what? Let's get right into the show. It's a long conversation, a good talk uh, with a friend of the show, David Quadrelli, making his return appearance on the program. Uh, David, of course, uh, very tapped in on all things Quinn Hughes. It is a very Quinn Hughes-heavy conversation ahead of uh, this weekend's All-Star Game. But we talk about a whole host of different things, Uh, what this team can do if they make the playoffs, where this team is at at this point in the season, and whether or not Ryan Kessler should wind his way into the ring of honor as well. So uh, I think you're going to enjoy this one. David, always a treat to chat with. Uh, That kid has a very bright future ahead of him. And uh, speaking of bright futures, you have one ahead of you as you get to listen to us talk about Canucks hockey for the next 40-odd minutes here. Uh, Without further ado, my conversation with David Quadrelli. My guest today is uh, somebody who covers the Canucks in depth, though he has self-described as a Quinn Hughes beat reporter, more so than a Canucks writer, necessarily. He is a returning favorite to the program, though so much has changed for him since he was last here. David Quadrelli, welcome back to Locked on Canucks, my man. Thank you for having me, Justin. And yeah, you're right, a lot has changed. Do you want to talk about that before we get started here talking about the Canucks? Because uh, people can hear you talking about the Canucks on a weekly basis with uh, friend of the show, Chris Faber, who has yet to appear on this program. You're making your return appearance here, so you can rub that in Faber's face a little bit if you're so inclined. But yeah, you uh, you joined uh, the Canucks conversation as that show has gone through a bit of a change in formatting over the last couple of weeks here, and you are uh, going to BCIT now as well with Chris. So uh, are you guys sick of each other yet? I know it's early, but uh, that's a lot of FaceTime, I would imagine. No, not yet. We're actually we're actually getting along pretty well, which is a good sign. We uh, we went on um, SB Nation's podcast, and uh, well, Kristen, and he played the newlyweds game, and he got a lot of stuff wrong. So I was starting to question the partnership a little bit, but uh, <laughs> I set him straight, told him what my middle name is and all that sort of stuff that he didn't know, surprisingly. So yeah, we're on Connect Conversation together. It's a ton of fun, and I was very stoked when he asked me to join that 
uh, joined that podcast. And yeah, like I think the last time I was here, I was still at the Canuck Way. You were indeed. I had my site expert position, and then I left that role in the start of January, starting this month. Um, I, I stepped away from it just to, you know, took a bigger role at Canucks Army. I'm now at Passage Bulis as well. Oh, um, hell yeah. Congrats yeah. on that as well. Yeah, thank you, thank you. And then, yeah, the big the big thing, though, is that I'm, yeah, at Canucks Conversation. Every Friday we record at BCIT, uh, and they're up on Saturday mornings at 5 a.m. At 5 a.m., anywhere you get podcasts. Uh, well, let's talk about that passage to Bullis news for a quick second, because it feels like, you know, at a time when it can often feel, and I'm sure you've noticed this already, even if you're just getting into this industry, that broadcasting is like an ever shrinking circle that like radio jobs and TV jobs get axed constantly. And it's very rare that more get added after the fact Um, to have, I know this is just an opportunity for freelancers and nobody's really joining Daniel Wagner on staff or anything, but it does feel like uh, I know it's not broadcast media, but at least in terms of getting your stuff out there on the web as a writer, feels like there's like more options than ever right now. Exactly, and that's what's so great about the online publications and everything. You got the Canucks Army, and you've got you know Passage of Bullis, and you've got all these places that you can put your stuff out. And even you know, even the Canuck way, I gotta plug my old stomping grounds. You may not get paid as much, but you know, you're still getting your stuff out there. And if somebody likes your stuff, you're gonna get paid, and you just have to try and catch um, lightning in a bottle. And that's that's the name of the game, really, is just trying to find your niche, carve it out, and then just work hard. Work harder than everybody else. That was always what I tried to do when I was first starting out, is just work harder than everybody else. Someone will notice. And luckily for me, someone did. And uh, with you doing the show now with uh, Faber and going to BCIT together, like y- you guys have both talked about the the idea of like trying to keep this duo together and wanting to work together as a pair and keep the show going together, even if you've been doing it together very briefly for the time being you know, for a good many years and, and get as long of a run as you can here, like a Halford and Bruff situation, you know, why not Why not take this uh, winning pair and take it as far as you can? That is such a rare thing, man. Like, you are both, like, you haven't even started the main program at BCIT. I, you're both doing uh, part-time classes at the moment. Is that correct? I did it in the fall, and now he's doing the same classes that I did in the fall, but we're not actually at the school together yet. Okay, but you will both be in the yeah, full-time yeah. program come September of yeah, this year. Yeah. Like, the dude, you have to know, like, how crazy it is, right, to, like, kind of be a known commodity in this market, have your, like, show partner already lined up, and, and, and a show that you're already doing before you've even begun going through the broadcast training program. Like, that is insane to me. Yeah, we're pretty, we're both pretty lucky. And that's the thing, right, is we do want to work together for a long time. Um, and yeah, like just our chemistry when we get behind the mics together, like I was really, because like, you know, I guess on this podcast a lot of times. Uh, and, you know, I had had a good time every single time. Um, but, you know, once we actually got into the studio, I was surprised how good we were at bouncing off each other's ideas. And like, yeah, like I, I, I think we get the best out of each other, you know, like, He's he's pretty good on his own for sure, um, 
but yeah, I think I think for sure we're a pretty good duo, and I want to stick with it for sure. Well, speaking of the Canucks conversation, uh, David, let it, let's have one uh, because as we speak right now, the Canucks are in first place in the Pacific Division. It is the All Star break; they are not back in action until sometime next week. Uh, but you are, you know, the Quinn Hughes guy. You are uh, the Quinn Hughes hype machine, as it were. This has got to be an exciting week for you, even if nothing is happening, because your boy is all. All-Star bound uh, for the third year in a row. The Canucks are sending a rookie representative to the All-Star game. And uh, this was kind of an unexpected thing. But I think, you know, when you look at how he's played, I, I, I think there's a way to look at this where it's kind of like a like vote for Rory campaign and that the fans rallied to make sure he got in. But like he deserves to be there also. He does. So that's the thing is like, you know, as you probably know, I wrote the 43 reasons Quinn Hughes should be at the all-star game for Canucks army. Um, And that was an article that I had a lot of fun with, but there was some legitimate reasons in there. Like the main one being that Mark Giordano was the only defenseman from the Pacific division team. And, you know, you look at his numbers, you know, Mark Giordano, sure. He's, he's a great defenseman. I'm not trying to discount him at all. I didn't come here to rip on Mark Giordano, believe it or not. Um, but Quinn Hughes has just been better. And he's been a very solid defenseman for the Canucks. He's played in even he's played in the shutdown role at times. He's played at all aspects of the game and he's been an all-star this season. So it was it was kind of unfortunate that it required fans to vote him in, but I guess it kinda of adds to the tale of Quinn and his rookie year, um, with Canucks Twitter and everybody else banding together to uh to vote him in. So it's good that he got there, but you know it would have been it would have been probably more ideal if he had just got there without needing a fan vote. Well, especially to like the format of the All Star Game and the way they have played it in recent years, like he's he should be a shoe in, like he should have been a lock to be in this game, just purely from an entertainment standpoint. If you're trying to sell the game and establish, you know, must watch players and must watch TV, basically, because uh, that, like, ultimately, I think, like. When you reach the age threshold where you can no longer like uh, reasonably go trick or treating at Halloween, like that's the same age threshold where you can no longer care about the All Star Game on some level, right? Like that exactly. is that's who the game is for. It's for kids. It is for sponsors. It's a weekend to satisfy, you know, your TV partners and all that stuff. Uh, but like. It is also to build excitement. You should watch these games and, and come out of it like feeling good about the state of hockey. And if you're going to put together a three-on-three tournament, I mean, Vancouver fans know better than anybody how much we've had to rally and push and prod to try and see Quinn Hughes play in three-on-three OT. We've gotten to see it a good many times this year. It's been awesome every single time. Like... You know, you know, you have to be realistic about the fact that this team plays on the West Coast, and there's not a, you know, the vast majority of hockey fans live out east. Unfortunately, like when you look at the way geographically the league is situated, like you know, it's not really a surprise. Most teams, most fans, the bulk of the league is out in the Eastern Time Zone. Even teams in the Western Conference that you know might be in the Central or Mountain or whatever. But like, there are people who. Do not stay awake to watch the beginning of a Canucks game. Never mind a Canucks game that goes right through overtime, you know, yeah. to, to the three-on-three. Yeah. Three. So, like, this is a gift, not just for fans in Vancouver, but I think 
kind of hockey fans right across the continent, really. Exactly. And you know what? You said it best. We know better than anybody else. When Quinn Hughes first arrived at the end of last year and the Canucks went to a three-on-three a game that went into overtime, I think it was against the Kings, actually. That was also the game where uh, Hughes got his first point. Uh, he was out there in overtime alongside Besser and Pedersen. And John Shorehouse said it best. He goes, enjoy the future, folks. It's right here. And it was right there. And fans were getting a front row seat at what we now know is going to be there for years to come. Those three together was fun to watch it over time. The possession that they were able to, they were able to control the play for almost the whole five minutes. And you know what? The funniest part about all that is that the NHL Twitter account itself posted a video of them controlling the zone for a solid minute and almost scoring, but they didn't score. They posted a highlight that didn't result in a goal, which usually is only reserved for the Toronto Maple Leafs, it feels like. <laughs> but it was it was really cool. Hey, to see re- remember when Austin Matthews that. invented uh, passing backhand that had oh apparently never gosh. been done before? That was like... Oh, what was their caption? Something super cringy. They were like, oh, we are not worthy. <laughs> I don't I can't remember. It was bad. It was really bad. So I remember that one. That was, uh, that's enshrined in my memory forever. Um, but yeah, it was cool to see the league kind of do something similar to that. And that's, that's a, one of the reasons, one of the 43 reasons that I wrote. If you're trying to showcase the league, why not put your league's best players? And I would argue that not only is Quinn Hughes better than Mark Giordano, he's much more entertaining to watch in that setting than Mark Giordano is. And it's insane to think about him as one of the league's best players right now. I'm, you and I had this conversation the first time you were on the show as well, but like, I was one of those people coming into this year who was very much of the mindset that, like, yes, we all just had this amazing year watching Elias Pettersson and we're just intoxicated by how stupefying his skill set is. You cannot expect that of the next rookie that is unreasonable it is unattainable it cannot be done especially for a position where you know you think of defensemen they don't like fully mature and figure things out sometimes until they're you know in their early to mid 20s never mind a kid who's just stepping into the league at 19 like it's impossible and yet quads here we are like and he has somehow gotten even better since we last spoke as well. Uh, I believe it was the performance on Saturday against the San Jose Sharks, which is like the single best shot metric single game performance that any player has had in the entire season so far, which is mind boggling. Yeah, dude, I'm like, I I was also in that camp with you where it was like, okay, we got to maybe pump the brakes a little on this kid. But then I was watching more and more game tape and like, you know, I was, I was writing articles about Quinn Hughes in the summer and I was watching and I was like, okay, maybe there won't be problems with his defensive game. But then, you know, it's college. So you're like, okay, well, maybe when he gets the NHL, He'll have some struggles. And then there was that first game where he got dumped by Leon Dreisaitl that kind of made me also go, okay, maybe we do have to pump the brakes. But I wrote an article in September and I just wrote, Quinn Hughes is here to change, Quinn Hughes is here and ready to change the Canucks forever. And I got really ripped into, they were like, holy cow, like, did you just write that? And yeah, I, I definitely got ripped into for that one. But I think that's what has happened. He's changed the way we think about defense in this market. And I think for a long time, we didn't think of defense differently than, yeah, for our defensemen, we don't want them to put up points. We just want them to stay healthy. But we did. We definitely needed to change the way. Like, 
there was people who didn't want PK Subban. And I don't know, it was just like a contract aside, you don't want PK Subban. Are you kidding me? It just, yeah, like it, you really, really, there was a need for fans to change the way they think about defense in this market. And I think we've seen that with Hughes. He's changed the Canucks. Well, I mean, Subban's lost a step at this point in his career, I think is fair to say. But, mm-hmm. you know, ev- the criticism that he put up even in the early stages of his career, I think, are very similar to what the knocks on Hughes were coming into the year. And I do think you're right that people have kind of wrapped their head around the idea that, you know, you don't necessarily need to be the world's greatest defensive defenseman if you always have the puck and are never in your own zone. And the most amazing thing about Hughes is that that is true of him, but even away from the puck, like, he also is a very good defensive defenseman. And, you know, even his most strident believers, I don't think anyone would have thought that that would be where he was at you know, never mind two years into his career, one year into his career, we're half a year into his career, and that's where he's at. It's insane. Yeah, and he's the first person that would tell you that he was confident in his defensive game from day one. And that's the thing, right, is like, it, it was becoming a bit of a, a, not a narrative, I won't use that word, but it was becoming like, oh, well, Hughes isn't great defensively. But then, you know, like, I was talking to Chris Tanna for my Bosch Food Project story, and I even said to him, I was like, oh, do you think a reason you and, uh, you and Hughes are successful is because he brings, um, he brings the offense and you bring the defense? And he's like, no, Quinn plays really good defense. He's not given enough credit. And then there's that story from Ben Kuzma where Hughes said the same thing. He was just like, like, I've been working on my defense and my defense is just fine. Like, you know, he's not a... He's not a cocky kid in any in any um, any regard but at all. It's it's the same sort of frustration I feel as like we would see from Pedersen last year about just yeah. constantly being asked if like, are you sure you're big enough? I yeah, don't know. Like, like yeah. you you seem pretty small to me. Like it's got to wear on you <laughs> over time. Like it's probably frustrating to hear that the first time. Never mind the twenty fifth time. Yeah, like, exactly, and that's the thing, right? It's it's like he had to shut that down when he gets the opportunity. Like, Pedersen, no, I don't think I'm too small. Go watch what I'm doing on the ice. Same with Hughes. No, my defensive game isn't bad. Go watch what I'm doing on the ice. And that's what it comes down to, is what these kids are producing on the ice is mind-boggling, especially Hughes. What's up, guys? Trey Matthews of Locked on Devils here, and let me tell you about Discover Debit Cash Back. Wings for the game? Boom, cash back. New lucky jersey? Boom, cash back. Even a last-minute ice run could score you some cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the W, but you know what's a guaranteed win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one is a real game-changer. Check out Transaction Eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit discover bank member fdic well uh you're very positive uh effusive in your praise for one quinn hughes but i know deep down quads you are uh you are a little bit of a cynic about this team and their overall performance this season even if 
you do not get criticized for being a uh, negative <laughs> figure in this market like uh, some of our friends might, like even I might on occasion. Uh, I know that you have had some questions about the way this team has been performing in terms of underlying numbers, even in times when they've been winning this season. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of hard to get a read, though, really, on what they are right now, because I feel like if you want to say they're this amazing playoff-bound team that's winning their division and they're so incredible, or if you want to say this team is like five points out of being a lottery team again, they could mm-hmm. have one bad mm-hmm. week and be right back at the bottom of the standings. Both things are true, but both arguments seemingly kind of omit like 50% of the team's results. Like the the people who think that this team is a contender this season, it's just like what do you, have you seen most of their games? Like I'm Yeah. I feel like you have to kind of come down right in the middle and people want to push back on the the mediocrity tag or or you know that sort of thing or you know calling them middling or what have you, but that's sort of been what they are. And the division has been that largely as well, which I feel like the people are equally frustrated by this cop-out excuse that, well, the Pacific is just bad this year, and that's why a team that is average is still good enough to lead it. But, like, I don't know how you can look at the results from the entire season, from the entire division, and really come down on any other answer. No, you're totally right. And that's the thing. I, I know you mentioned it. I'm not really scrutinized for being negative. Like, you know, I, I have all the, the Benning bros. I feel like they're in my corner a lot of the time. <laughs> uh, but then, you know, I have like a Matt Sakaris or like um, a, a so-called bitter bro also in my corner. And I think that's because I'm, I'm generally a pretty positive guy. Like I'll never come out and like I'll, I will never come out and say that like a GM or a coach should be fired. Like that's just not in my character at all. That won't be something you hear from me. Um, and you know, I'm not, I'm just, I'm, I'm a pretty positive guy for the most part, but then again, my job isn't to cheerlead the team. My job is to cover the team with as little bias as possible. So yes, I look at those underlying numbers and I look at everything and I try and paint the best picture I can of what's actually happening on the ice and what you might may have missed by just watching the game and not really paying attention to, okay, how, how many zone exits did the Canucks have? What happened here? How much the, the play did they actually control? And that's the thing is, in my conclusion, really, is I'm a big Jacob Markstrom supporter. And I think a lot of this team's success, like, in my opinion, Jacob Markstrom is this team's MVP so far. Um, and he was in the first half, and I wrote it on Canucks Army as well. He needs to be it in the second half, or this team could be lottery bound. And I think he's the difference maker. He's the catalyst on this team. Um, and, you know, catalyst, I use that word a lot when I'm talking about JT Miller. But to my point, Markstrom is the one that's really stolen them some games here. And that's something he struggled to do earlier in his career, for sure. That was a knock on him was, you know, he can't make the save when it matters most. He lets in those soft goals. That was becoming a trend, and it was starting to look scary. But then Ian Clark arrives. All of a sudden, he completely revolutionizes Jacob Markstrom and Jacob Markstrom's game. And now we see a completely different-looking goaltender. And I think it's very sustainable for Jacob Markstrom to continue playing at the level he is. And I think that's largely in part to Ian Clark, or largely thanks to Ian Clark. Well, that's kind of... uh the best story of the season too, right? Like Jackson McDonald and I were talking last week about how like, how could you possibly vote for anyone else for the Masterton Trophy this year when you look at 
everything that he's gone through as a person mm-hmm. and the way that has been channeled into his performance on the ice as well. And you're right, goaltending when it's great. And Jacob Markstrom has been great, even in games where he's allowed like four or five goals. That is how porous the Canucks defense has been at times mm-hmm. that he can still give them a spectacular performance and the team still has allowed, you know, four goals. I think the game against Pittsburgh that they played before Christmas is a good example of that, where he was outstanding and that game was still extremely high scoring. Uh, but that's kind of the, the way the team is, right? Like, if you need to rely on great goaltending, it might mean that you have some warts as a team. And I definitely think the Canucks do have that, even if. That's still enough because, like, I don't think people realize when they hear the mediocre tag that, like, a mediocre team can still make the playoffs, especially when so much of the league, you might have, like, your four elite teams at the tippity top and your four basement dwelling teams in the bippity bottom and everything else is in the mushy middle. Like, Mm -hmm. a lot of what makes the playoffs in a situation like that could probably be called mediocre, and that's not a bad thing. Like, being a middling team can still sneak you into the playoffs in a league where more than half the teams get in. No, you're totally right. And that's the thing is, like, I've, I've said this, and, you know, I've, I've gotten through nice, but here's what I think. This is my hot take for the show today. Um, Bring it. This is Bring what it. I'm going to say. That's what I've been waiting if for. If Canucks make the playoffs, they're going to get past the first round absolutely no problem. But... If they match up with Vegas in the second round, I think they're going to get bounced. Now, I say that because Vegas just seems to have the Canucks number. And Always. Like every, every, every time. Every time Vegas plays the Canucks, it's painful. You feel physical pain watching them play the Canucks. Like, <laughs> it's like it's, they, it's, they belong in a different league. Yeah. And, and you know what? Like Vegas is a good team. Give them credit. But they're not as good as the Canucks make them look every time they play. Like Vegas is a great team, sure. But the Canucks... The Canucks compete with Washington. The Canucks, you know, not recently, but they do compete with Tampa Bay. They compete with the really good teams in the league. So that's my thing is I think Vegas is going to be this team's um, problem when they get in the playoffs. But I think if they can somehow not match up with Vegas and say Vegas gets bounced in the first round in an upset, I think we could see them ride a hot goaltending performance. Are you ready for this? All the way to the cup final. Wow. That's my hot take. Wow. I'm, you know, I really like goaltenders, um, and I think Jacob Markstrom has been that good. That if if he catches fire, if he keeps, you know, I don't, I wouldn't even say catch fire because he's been fire all season long. Like he's been red hot all season long, essentially. If he can just keep playing the way he is, like you can ride a hot goaltender all the way to a Cup final. And we saw it last year with St. Louis. Like St. Louis had a good team for sure, but so did the Canucks. And their core is so young. I just think there's actually a chance here. If they don't get bounced by Vegas, there's actually a chance that this team could really surprise a lot of people. A spicy take indeed, and we will hear my response in just a moment. But first, if you've been a listener of this podcast, I'm sure you've heard all the great advertisers working with Locked On to reach sports fans. But you may not know that Locked On Canucks is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Canucks fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners. Not just any podcast listener, 
a Locked On podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with Canucks fans and a predominantly male audience that is well-educated with disposable income, then let's put your company right here on this Locked On podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses. All you have to do is text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcasts.com slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help your team achieve Locked On advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777. That's double three, triple seven. Or visit LockedOnPodcasts.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. And now back to my response for that spicy take from David Quadrelli. That is a spicy take. Yeah, that is a really spicy take. I, I do love the idea, though, because like I, you look back over the last several decades of uh, Canucks playoff success, which is really some of the only playoff success that they've ever had, barring yeah. a couple of fluke runs in 82 and 94. <laughs> um, but the, there just seems to always be this mental hurdle in front of them, right? Like... Mm. Uh, they had a better team than Minnesota in 2003. They should have beaten the Wild and gone to the conference final, but there was just something mentally about that team that crumpled, and we saw that same sort of uh, mental weakness in those multiple years against Chicago. Like The reason yeah. why the Dragon Slayer goal is such a big deal is because this city was just emotionally battered yeah, by watching right. the way the Canucks just folded in like half of yeah. their games against Chicago yeah. in the two series prior. There was something, and like Luongo has fully copped to this as well. There was just like a mental block in his head about the Blackhawks. He could not get into that sort of zone and rhythm that made him as great as he was, and he had a very similar sort of block when it got to the cup final against Boston as well. There's just like, uh, you know... The, it's it's like these these uh, ghosts kind of get in their yeah. way yeah. and they and they beat themselves instead of being beaten and I totally can see you know people talk about like oh, could there be a burgeoning rivalry between the Canucks and the Arizona Coyotes. <laughs> Like, yeah, maybe there could be if they meet in the playoffs a bunch of times in a row over the next several years here. That absolutely could be true. But I think you're right. Like, the team that is more likely to be that team to Vancouver, the team that is more likely to uh, haunt our dreams and be in our nightmares for years and years to come is the Vegas Golden Knights because there is just something about that team that time and time again, the Canucks just consistently trip over their own shoelaces, basically, when they play the the Vegas Golden Knights. I don't know what it is. Yeah, you're totally right. And thankfully, you know, like, I was at the Arizona game on Thursday. Like, Arizona, for some reason, is just always a boring team to watch. Like, if I'm being honest, like, they're always just a boring, boring team to watch. So, thankfully, they're moving to the Central Division when Seattle enters the league. So, won't, hopefully, we don't have to see any too, too big of rivalry games in the yeah, first round. Yeah, Seattle will like be the that. rival. Oh, yeah. That'll be, yeah, the Battle of the Border. You know, there's um, all those great names. I think, what was Drances? He came up with something great. It was like Rain City Ruckus. That's what Thomas Drances wants to call it. That's and I'm pretty totally good one. on board with that. I like, I like that. that. But uh, back, to, back to our point, though. Like, man, I, I think, like, this is a team that, is built for the playoffs and you know i you know i'm i sound like a total benning bro right now and that's all i'm trying to do i'm not trying to come on here and you know 
just pump up the Canucks tires and say, yeah, they're going to the cup. But I just think that with a guy like, you know, and here's another hot take, a Jay Beagle, like he's a proven winner and he's done it he's done it to win a Stanley cup. He knows what it takes. And the Canucks just have such a tight knit group right now. And the thing I really like about them is that goaltender, Jacob Markstrom. And I really, truly, truly believe that you can ride a hot goaltender all the way to a cup final. And then, you know, you have a guy like Jake Furtanen, who's all of a sudden having a big breakout year. What's he going to be like in the playoffs? Bo Horvat. I feel like he'll be great in the playoffs as well. Yeah. That's the number one guy that I'm excited to see. If this team makes the playoffs again is like the way he was as a rookie in that Calgary series in in 2015. Like that is when Canucks fans really started to look at this guy like the heart eyes emoji, you know, like he was a fourth line center for much of that season. And he was like, I think an 18, 19 year old kid right out of his draft class. Like there wasn't a ton of expectation on him. It was kind of nice that he was in the league, but he was very much being coddled. Uh, Ronald Kennans. That was his line mate. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And then he hit the playoffs and he just exploded because that's what's in his heart. And to take that guy and put him back into the postseason five years later with all that additional experience and all of the steps forward that he's taken in his game and the added weight of having the captaincy on his jersey – like, I get the feeling that if this team makes the playoffs again in the next couple of years, we are going to be talking about Bo Horvat postseason performances in a similar light to the way that we talk about, like, Ryan Kessler against the yes. Nashville Predators. Yes. 100%. And you know what? I, it's funny you mentioned that because I have Bo Horvat's career playoffs statistics, like the game logs. I have them, I have them here, right in front of me. I forgot this completely. He scored in his first ever playoff game. And he had 13 minutes of ice time that night, and he scored in his first playoff game against Calgary. The Canucks lost that game. But then he got points in the next two games after that, and those were both assists. And then, yeah, he finished the game six there with an assist. But that's, that's pretty good. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do in the playoffs. And, yeah, like I said, like a Jake Furtanen even, had all of a sudden having a breakout year, see what he can do as well. Well, I mentioned Ryan Kessler there, Quads, and that's been a big topic around the city over the last 24 hours. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, really, I think since he launched the Kess and Juice podcast, but also he had a, a marquee interview um, on the program with Satyar Shah and Andrew Walker on Sportsnet 650, where he talked about like his history and his uh, regrets and the way things went down, and he... Is much more mature, grown up, I think, at this stage in his life than he was as a kind of hotshot uh, late twenty something guy in the peak of his athletic performance years. Like, you know, I I'm 32 and I can look back on things that I did when I was like 27, 28, or whatever, and not necessarily feel great about all of them. You know, like uh, there's a lot of maturation that goes on during the time of life that he is in. Never mind when you're a hockey player and life is kind of a playground to you the entire time through your 20s as well, right? Um, But there's a a lot of this market that feels like he is just kind of uh, on a PR kind of salvage campaign, that he's not necessarily uh, authentic or legitimate in his regrets and apologies and so on, etc. To me, I think, like... If if we're talking, does Ryan Kessler go into the Ring of Honor? Like that's a slam dunk conversation to me. Like, I don't know how you can put together a list of like the ten best players in franchise history and not yeah. have him on it. And if he is one of the ten best players that you've ever had, 
why would he not be put into the Ring of Honor like that? I don't know. Where do you stand on Ryan Kessler? So I think it was just the way he left. That was what really bothered Canucks fans. Yes. But that's the thing is he wanted to win, man. And it was like it was like a bad breakup with with a girlfriend. You know what? And that's how it was. It was like you said some shit you didn't. Oh, sorry. I don't know if I can swear. In your no, I absolutely um, can swear. Go ahead. Okay, okay. Uh, you said some stuff you didn't uh, <laughs> you didn't really mean, but you said it, and you can't change that. All you can do now is apologize because yes, you're wiser now. You regret it. Like, but but also I, like. Not to cut you off, but like that's who he was as a player. That's what we yes, always loved exactly. about him was his ability to run his mouth and drive people insane. And he backed it up, and he backed it up. And that's the thing, right? Is like I just I I think he played the villain perfectly for Canucks fans near the end there. But it was clear that he was such an integral part of that team, and when that team was you know, it was clear that the Canucks were not going to be competitive anymore. Like, if Ryan Kessler had stayed, they still wouldn't have been competitive. Like, Nick Benino did a good job in the second-line center role. Um, it's just, it, it was clear, and he wanted a chance to win, and you cannot fault the guy for that. All he wanted to do was win, and he knew that the Canucks weren't going to be doing that, and I don't think he said anything too egregious. Like, he hated the media here. Fine. Like, I would hate it too if I was a player. I'm and I'm like kind of part of the media, and I just, you know, you. They talked about it. You go through a three-game stretch where you're just not playing great. All of a sudden, everybody's trying to trade you. You do the same thing in Anaheim. They're still talking about Disneyland. Like, there's no pressure in playing in Anaheim as there is compared to playing in Vancouver or any Canadian market for that matter. So I think that was just years of frustration. And, you know, like, as you probably know, Ryan Kessler, or not Ryan Kessler, Kevin BX has blocked, like, every Canucks media member there is. <laughs> I'm they not all me. blocked on Twitter. I'm not yeah, blocked I, for whatever reason. You know, luckily I was, like, 11 years old when he probably went on that blocking spree, so I wasn't part of it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like, I... To ask I, your parents for written permission to use Twitter at that point. Of course, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, think, I think Kessler's genuine, man. I gotta say, I really think he's... It, it's like what does he really have to gain by just fake apologizing like he doesn't live in vancouver yeah. or anything. it's, it's like, like people are like oh he he saw burroughs have that special night and he wants that for himself he yeah, selfishly like, <laughs> wants to go into the room it's like yeah fucking of course he does do you have any idea how special that is like uh and and to just like it's it's exactly what we talked about uh, at the beginning of the season with Bertuzzi and Todd Bertuzzi's insane crowd reaction at yes. the home opener. Like, every, like Wyatt kind of articulated this the best is that that relationship ended messy and there were all these awkward feelings and these hanging threads between the player yeah. and the city. Well, guess what? Ryan Kessler has that exact same problem. Like, the way things ended here were acrimonious and people still feel bitter about it and so on, etc. But, like, you talk about the hindsight of a player realizing the way that he screwed up and wanting to own it and be mature. And, like, that's what we want from athletes is personal accountability to acknowledge the ways and the places where you fucked up. And Ryan Kessler is clearly doing that right now. But also, like, fans can have hindsight, too, and look back at the fact that, like, Anaheim took the bullet that we did not. 
Vancouver yeah, exactly. should never have given him the contract that he signed with the Ducks. We should be counting our lucky stars every single day that this capped out team that was not good for basically the entire time after Kessler left was not also paying him seven and a half million dollars a year or whatever to be on the injured reserve for the entire season and yeah, to exactly. you know not be particularly good when he did play. They did us a favor by giving him that money, so the Canucks did not have to. Yeah, you're totally right. And that's that's the thing is like would the Canucks have kept him if he didn't ask for a trade? Like is that what we would have seen? Would we have seen them like really try to salvage this core and really retool around them like that? Like I, I I don't know. I don't really know the answer to that. Yeah, who knows? But I don't know. To me, I would like to see uh Kessler go into the Ring of Honor at some point. I think he is uh a supremely important player in the history of this franchise. And I talked about this uh on Canucks Central with uh uh Bick Nazar and Jamie Dodd today, but like as much as Alex Burroughs is a special player who had a fantastic career and is beloved for a lot of reasons, we all acknowledged on the night that he went in to the Ring of Honor, that he was going in there because of the Dragon Slayer goal and how important that moment was. You know, Drance yeah. called it the biggest goal in franchise history. Yeah. To me, the entirety of the performance in the playoffs against the Predators that Kessler had on that run is just as important. Like, 2011, the way that we remember it, does not happen without that performance. And that was five, six games in a row? Never mind just one fleeting moment in overtime. That is a dominant... Like, Barry Trotz has talked about that as the most dominant performance he's ever seen in hockey. Like, that's a special moment that deserves recognition beyond just, you know, casually applauding the 2011 team or whatever. Kessler is a special player. And that's the thing. is That's the thing is that's not a moment. That's an experience extended period of time and that's a lot of moments put together and that's why it's it's easier to remember the dragon slayer goal because you can look it up on youtube you can't look up ryan kessler highlights from nashville well yeah, well, you could can. you could watch yeah. that moment where he splits the d and goes right through both Suter and weber on his yeah. way to scoring yeah. on renee one of the most spectacular goals in canucks history as well like gotta yeah. be right up there for sure for sure but my point being is that you know the dragon slayer goal you hear the reaction in John in uh, John Shorthouse's voice. You see the whole team come off the bench and how, how the jubilation on their faces and on the faces of everybody in the crowd. That's a moment that nobody will ever forget. But I, I would argue that it's a lot easier to forget that Ryan Kessler had that performance that he did, yeah, as he- great as it was. I'd argue that it's much easier to forget that, but you're totally right in the sense that he should be in the Ring of Honor because of that performance, because anybody who was actually paying attention knows how important that was. But you're right, though. Like The Dragon Slayer goal is a moment that you can revisit on your phone right now if you really want to. It'll take you 30 seconds to really remember how good Kessler was throughout the entirety of that series. You probably have to watch... like. You know, two and a half hours of video yeah, exactly. to get the full picture of it. Um, yeah, exactly. That uh, seems like as good a place as any to wrap up, Quads. Uh, do you want to plug anything before we uh, call it a day here? Yeah, I think Gino Ojic should be in the Ring of Honor before Kessler is. Wow. That out there. Okay. Yeah. okay, yeah, but like both of those things can happen. I, You're right. That's You're not right. mutually totally exclusive. Right. It's not like there's only one spot available to go in. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. I'm just saying before. Gino's got to get in there soon. And there's that whole uh, campaign on Twitter. I don't know if you've seen it. And Gino Ojek like follows it and retweets all of it. <laughs> it's actually awesome. Yeah, he's uh, yeah, he's, he's a great dude. I, I I would love to see him get honored. Awesome, man. Um, people can find you, of course, at, uh, as you mentioned, Canucks Army, as well as Pass It to Bullis going forward, and uh, can hear your voice on the Canucks Conversation with Chris Faber as well. Uh, I just want to throw out there before we wrap up, you know, talking about Quinn Hughes as long as we did, you know, he's talking about guys going up into the rafters. I don't think you have to save any room for Quinn Hughes uh, in the Ring of Honor, necessarily. I think when it's all said and done, he is going to be... Uh, a cut above that because this is a franchise where like a year and a half ago before uh Quinn Hughes enters our lives like there's a compelling case to be made that like Sammy Sallow is the best defenseman that this team has <laughs> exactly. ever seen exactly <laughs> like, it's, like, it's shocking because it's like we you know the Canucks have never drafted a defenseman as skilled as Quinn Hughes and you know Chris Tanev said he's never played with a defenseman with as much raw skill as Quinn Hughes and there's never been a Canucks defenseman with as much raw skill yeah. as Quinn Hughes and you know he's showing that he can do just about everything and I think when you prove that at such a young age and if you can keep it up, which I think you can and I think it's sustainable, then yeah, there could be a day where all of a sudden we're talking about him being the best defenseman of all time in the franchise. I mean, I think we're kind of already there 50 games in, personally. I think I'm willing to call it right now. Uh, Apologies to Grania and uh, like-minded Alex Edler fans, but uh, the future is now. Yeah, no, you're, you're totally right. All right, man. Uh, appreciate your time. Thanks for doing this, squads. Yeah, thanks a lot. There he is, David Quadrelli on the program this week. A uh, bit of a longer one. I, I know spo- the shows are only supposed to be like 25 minutes a day, uh, but I can't seemingly talk to anyone without uh, going like close to 40 or 45 because, look, all my friends are just too smart and we have too many intelligent things to say and we have to say them or we will die. So that is... How the show goes more often than not. Uh, Late one tonight, as I mentioned, which means you don't have to wait very long for me to be right back with you. And uh, speaking of David Quadrelli, a new co-host of the Canucks Conversation, his co-host, Chris Faber, joins me on the show tomorrow. So look forward to a back-to-back dose from those boys uh, before we close out the week with another returning guest, Faber making his uh, Locked on Canucks debut tomorrow. So look forward to that. And until then, uh, head on over to the iTunes store. Leave me a rating. Throw me a review. Why not do something like that? Brighten up my day if you're so inclined, if you enjoyed the last 45 minutes of audio that I provided for you. Uh, Until tomorrow. Oh, and I'm joined by Chris Faber. I have been and will continue to be Justin Morissette, and you've been locked in on Locked On Canucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On Podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.